The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your weekly public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. There's lots of exciting stuff going on uh, here in the real estate investing world over the next couple of weeks and months. Amongst other things, the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati is holding a one-day Just for Beginners class this upcoming Saturday. If you've done some real estate deals, this is not the class for you. This is a safe space for folks who are getting into the business, who worry about spinning their wheels, who worry that they don't know what they even need to know to go out and buy real estate. It's about the very basic stuff, like how do you find deals in a hot market and how do you evaluate them and what are some financing options if you're not loaded with money and have great credit, or even if you are loaded with money and have great credit, banks are not always the best financing option for any given deal. Plus, we're going to talk exit strategies too. It's really inexpensive, but the uh, the flip side of that is the space is really limited. We've only got about eight seats left in that event. You can find out more about it at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. Then coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, much of the state of Ohio is getting a royal visit. That would be from the Queen of Rehab, Robin Thompson. Uh, who's going to be in Cincinnati on Thursday, February 1st, Columbus on Tuesday, February 6th, and unless I'm mistaken, also Dayton on uh, Wednesday, February the 7th, and then back a little later on in the month to do some uh, big all-day events. Uh, those meetings are open to everybody, not just members. You can come as long as you have downloaded a guest pass at CincinnatiRIA.com for the uh, event here in Cincinnati or at centralohioria.com for the event up in Columbus. Uh, she only manages to make her way here to Cincinnati about every second or third year, so good opportunity to uh, come see the Queen of Rehab, who, by the way, is also my guest today on the program. Um, most of you probably know Robin Thompson, but for those who don't, she got started in real estate out of sheer desperation after finding out that she might be laid off from her corporate job many years ago. Um, all started with a little condo in her own building that she bought cheap and um, managed to turn around and make some money on. And that was just sort of the start of things. At this point, she has rehabbed 
over uh, 300 properties ranging from really cheap little starter homes up to million plus dollar mansions. Uh, she's joining us today from who knows where. She's 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 on the phone. But where are you, Robin? I'm actually home at my horse ranch in Ocala, Vina. Okay, so a couple hundred, couple hundred students on their way in tonight to start tomorrow. So I'm ah. actually going to get to be home and enjoy the sunshine this weekend. Yeah, don't you, you, this this was not the day to be in Cincinnati. Let me tell you, the, the weather is it's doing that it's doing that garbagey thing where it kind of spits little rocks of water out of the sky all day long and the the traffic is slippery but we promise we'll have some better weather for you in a couple of weeks when you come up here um now robin uh one of the interesting things about real life real estate investing being on the air so long i mean we're heading into our 22nd year here on the air is that there are folks like you who were amongst my first interviewees way, way back yep. when, when you were just getting started both in real estate and uh, out out in the world uh, teaching about rehab. And as time passes, we change our strategies, right? And yep, I, I don't want to sure. say I don't want to say it's because we're getting older, but <laughs> that, that, that can be. I am. I am. There's no doubt. <laughs> that can certainly be part of it. And, um, you know, people evolve. And, and if they don't evolve, they don't live long in this industry. I mean, we all evolved in 2008, very suddenly. And that yeah. that's for sure. But that sure changes, changes perspective. It, it, it does. It does. But the, the thing I really wanted to talk about you to, with you today, because I mean, um, we've got hundreds of podcasts available for at, at, at realliferealestate.com and you're on at least two or three of them <laughs> from the from, from the last 10 years so I mean folks can can go back and listen to what you have to say about renovation and dealing with contractors and what people want in the market and how to make sure that you're getting your uh, buyers pre-qualified and all those things that you like to talk, to talk about when you're teaching retailing but what I'd like to talk mm-hmm. about on today's show is your new thing Okay. Uh, that that you're doing because you have been like so 100% into rehab and kind of let's admit it anti landlording for a, yeah I was <laughs> for a really There's long no time doubt. yeah I got my butt handed to me in my early years back so mm-hmm. <laughs> I've taken my share of lumps as you know mm-hmm. as we all do in the beginning if we don't know what we're doing yeah and I I think people are going to be surprised to find that you are now. You are now in the process of developing a fairly sizable for- portfolio of single-family homes. Yeah, it's it's pretty good size, um, you know. And being it's very different than what most people do in the buy and hold game, so I get a lot of really interesting looks from the audience when I start to teach the perspective that I've learned over 22 years. So it's it's kind of fun to watch the facial expressions uh-huh, <laughs> for uh-huh. sure. Yeah, and the and the big the big weird thing because I mean when you told me this, I also went, you what now? Uh, mm-hmm. is you're not buying what people would typically think of as a rental property. Exactly. Well, Vina, I kind of, in the beginning years, 22 years ago, it's kind of funny because that's when I started. So if we go back 22 years ago and we look at this, what I can tell you is I did what everybody else did. I got a bunch of low-end keeper properties, right? Uh, Section 8 type stuff. And I got to learn the school of hard knocks how, you know, the cash flow seems to look like the greatest thing in the world, and that's all you ever focus on. But 
you know, at the end of the day, after they get done beating the properties up and tearing them up and moving out in the middle of the night and going to eviction of court to get possession of your property back, what you learn real fast is that game can eat you alive. So I had 34 headaches like that. And what I can tell you is I learned that I definitely did not want to be in that game. Uh, I got stuck in it for about 12 years because I couldn't get rid of the stuff until um, it built up some equity. And it takes a long time doing that with a 30-year mortgage. So what I ended up doing um, between me and you and the lamppost is I sold off all that stuff when I moved to Florida and said I swore to God I would never be a landlord again. And I stuck to that for 2008, 9, 10, 11 and then I saw our market hit the bottom where I could buy a gorgeous house in a golf course community for 50 cents on the dollar. And so I said, okay, let me think about that. So, you know, I ended up, I bought a really nice one. And what I found out on the really nice rentals is those folks make a lot of money who rent them. And I didn't realize there was a lot of demand for rentals in the higher end stuff. So my first one had 83 people who wanted to take it in the first three weeks. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's basic economic stuff. You want to be in a business where the demand is high and the supply is low and you're the supplier of the product. So mm-hmm. it kind of opened my eyes the first time I stumbled across that. And lo and behold, I've replicated that 22 times. Um, what I know, and, and you know this to be true too, as a buy and hold girl, we make our money on appreciation, lack of vacancy, and how damn fast we get that mortgage paid off. Um, cash flow is what everybody focuses on because they need it for grocery money, but really those other profit centers are more important, I think. And so the better quality houses hit those three hot buttons real fast and you're not in eviction court. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of took the, the beating that I took in my first 12 years and kind of listened to those strategies and put them into play and have de- developed a whole new portfolio of keepers that are very low stress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very high profit. Now, Robin, um, we need to we need to take a, a quick break here, and I know that it literally takes you all day to um, mm-hmm. really explain to people all, all of the different you know moving pieces about about how this works. But we're going to get as far as we can into it in the next forty minutes okay. for folks who can't come to Cincinnati and and see your all day talk. Uh, I also though want to invite folks because if if they're you know if their jaws on the ground like mine was when you told me you were buying houses on golf courses for rentals, they probably have some questions. And they can call sure, with I'm those. Sure they do. Yeah, they can call with those. That might need to sink in over the commercials too. <laughs> it's eight, the whole idea. Yep, eight seven 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 two nine six five eight eight seven 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 two nine six five eight is the number. Uh, if you're secretly listening on your headphones at work because you don't want your boss to know that you're uh, secretly planning on uh, getting rich in real estate and quitting, you can also send us an email at askvina at gmail dot com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Davina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Robin Thompson, formerly known as, still known as, maybe will um, someday in the future not be known as the Queen of Rehab. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe the smarter Queen of Rehab. It's got more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking today about um, Robin's new personal strategy that she is she's been out there doing this since uh, about 2010 and is now starting to tell other people that maybe maybe this is a good thing for them to do too uh, of buying what you would consider more move up properties versus the 
the trash flow properties that everybody goes for because the rates of return on what you're investing versus what you're getting are high, at least on paper. And it's, it's funny you said that, um, Robin, because last week we had a guest on, uh, Bob Dressman, who's just a local investor who's done like a thousand plus deals. And I said, what was the, what was the number one thing you would tell your, your 20 year old self not to do if you could go back in time? And he said, buy low income rentals. He said, I would tell them not to buy low income rentals. Because mm-hmm. interesting, <laughs> because it works on paper, and it works if you're willing to be very high touch. So you're you're right. you're, you're willing to you're willing to like go down there and collect the ten- the rent in person when the tenant calls on the sixth and says I've got it but I can't send it right. Uh, it can work, but um, he has sort of come to the same conclusion you have about the spreadsheets don't reflect what happens in reality with those properties. Real life, yeah. Well, you know, and Vina is kind of nuts. I mean. The older I get, the less I want to work, and I sure as heck don't want to be going down to the lower end neighborhoods having to carry a gun underneath my feet and collect my rent. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I mean, I, I I can't imagine having to do that. And I hear landlords that do that, and they put their life on the line to collect their four hundred and fifty bucks a month or their six hundred dollars a month, and it's to me just kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so give us, give you us... know, I, and I here's kind of a basic. I'm kind of simple, you know that. I thought about it. You know, people say, hey, I have 200 doors or I got 300 doors. I mean, it sounds sexy, right? <laughs> Not to me. But I've met plenty of people as I travel this country teaching 180 nights a year who have, you know, 50 or 100 doors and they can't buy groceries. So, I mean, what good does that do you? I mean, I would much rather have one $2,000 a month tenant than three $600 tenants. I mean, you got three roofs and three hot water tanks and three heating systems that could break down, or do you want one? And, you know, the other thing we always teach students is, hey, you know, you want to make sure they make three times the rent, right? Their income needs to be at least three times the rent. I mean, that's what the banks do. Well, what I found out in the higher-end stuff, most of them make eight to ten times the rent. Mm. I mean, I have a young couple looking at one of my houses today. The rent's $2,100 a month. Well, they make hundred and fifty grand. So I'm not really worried about them being able to afford the $2,100 in rent. But, you know, you get somebody who makes $2,500 a month and the rent's 700 you know, they got a lot of bills and groceries. There's nothing left to pay the rent. So it, it's just interesting if you look at numbers and you really think about it. You know, would you want somebody that makes eight times what the rent costs or do you want somebody that makes three times what the rent costs? And I think the more they make above the rent, the better chance you're not going to have any issues with getting it. I mean, the drawback about the nicer rentals, you don't make any money on bounce check fees and you don't make any money on late fees because they don't pay late. So, I mean, I lost those profit centers, which was half the profits I made on the low end stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's a whole different way of, of life, I can tell you. And, a lot less stress, a lot less hours, and a lot less wear and tear on your house. And, and on the bright side, um, if one of those folks does leave you and doesn't pay their rent or does some damage, which I, you know, I've had that happen on some of my high-end rentals. You have to be just as careful about screening people. There's bad there's bad guys in that price range too. But the thing is, they tend to have assets that you can go collect against. <laughs> so it, yeah. it actually does you it actually does you some good to go back at, for in in Ohio. It would be a, on a second cause and say, look, these guys mm-hmm. owe me you know ten thousand bucks because they can they can pay it. Right. So, you know, I've been very lucky. You know, I started this off in late 2010 beginning 11 i haven't had any any bad ones yet uh but i'm also tough too you know i'm no 
easy peasy to get in the keys. So I am pretty disciplined with that because I think the harder you are on the front end, the less hassle you got for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, let's see if we can, you can give us a little perspective because we do have listeners all over the country listening at WMKVFM.org. And okay. you're you're in the you're in the Orlando area, kind of northish, like Ocala. Um, yeah, kind the, of rural mm-hmm. farm country. Mm-hmm. The houses that you're buying uh, are mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, golf course says to me it's it's move up. It's it's going to be a subdivision, but newer subdivision and kind of expensive uh, relative yeah. to you know a house that's not on a golf course. In yep. in your area, what is one of those houses worth? Uh, the cheapest one I have is 130. Um, you know, most of them are in that 200,000 range, you know, 180 to 200, 210 type number. Mm-hmm. I do have a couple up in the threes. Um, you know, I'm really picky about school district. That's my most important thing. What I found out, you know, we have a lot of people that relocate or are corporate America managers that are in working in big companies and they know they're only going to be here for three or four years because, they're coming in on a promotion and they're going to run a division or, you know, run and manage a department. And then they know if they do a really good job, they're going to be transferred out. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found out is most of those people don't want to buy because they don't want to be stuck with a house they have to sell and possibly not be able to sell something and have to turn down a job promotion. So I didn't really realize how many of those there were out there until I started putting my houses up for rent. Um, so mine range from 130 to 350. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that compares to, or I guess what I'm trying to get to is, you know, somebody in Kansas City or Cincinnati or Youngstown, uh, it's not necessarily going to be that same price range exactly. So so give me some criteria under which I would go out and look for one of these properties. You said good, good school system. Yeah, really good. Top school district. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of the four bedroom, you know, two and a half baths with a garage in a subdivision it's got amenities not all of mine are on golf course but you know i've got a couple of them where they do have like baseball field community pool um you know clubhouse that kind of stuff not all of them are on golf courses i would say probably about two-thirds of them Mm -hmm. but stuff where you know you're looking at folks that maybe are registered nurses or teachers or you know even entry-level beginning doctors fresh out of med school would want to live and raise a family where they can put their kids in the school district knowing it's a really good school and let them either graduate high school or, you know, junior high from there. Um, So the school district I like to use in Florida as an example is Spruce Creek. It ranks in the top 50 in the United States. Our schools in Florida are really bad. Most of them are C minus level or C level schools. Well, we only have a few that are really, really good. And so I particularly targeted that, And what I found is there's a lot of folks that, you know, want their kids in there, especially if they come in on a job relocation, you know, they don't want to buy until they've been here a year at least um, to make sure. And so they want to make sure they know what they're doing before they buy or maybe not even buy and just do their three-year job relocation and then move on out. Like I'll give you an example. I had a doctor that got a cancer research grant and uh, he knew he was going to be in Port Orange for three years. Well, he didn't want to sell his house in New Jersey. Uh, and so he took one of mine for 36 months at $2,000 a month. I mean, you look at that, that's a, you know, that's a $72,000 rent roll while he was here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you want something that's really, really good on the schools. Um, 
I like houses that are newer, Vena, age-wise, where I'm not going to need to put a roof on it until I get it paid for. I, you know, I like to take all the extra cash flow and chunk it down on principal. So my kind of cardinal rule is I want the house paid off in 10 years or less. Um, I don't want to take money out of the house until it's paid for. So I'd really like to get that thing paid for before it needs a roof or a brand-new heating system or any kind of electrical upgrade. So I don't want stuff that requires a ton of rehab up front because if I'm going to sink thirty dollars or $40,000 into it, then it's got to go. I can't keep it. Mm-hmm. It's got to go bye-bye. Now, you just said so something that- You just said something very interesting, which is um, this, this is not necessarily a strategy for – a starter. This is this is more of a strategy for a wealth builder who can afford to not live off the income. Yeah, I make I live I sell things all the time. I live off my flipping business, you know, and wholesaling business. I wholesale like you, not nearly as many as you, but you know, I wholesale and I rehab, and so I live off the profits off of that. So, kind of my buy and hold strategy. I really trying to be really disciplined to say, let me just let set those houses and forget them and let them get paid off really fast. And then once they're paid for, you don't have to work at all. And so most of mine are uh, 100-month payoffs, so which is eight and a third years. So, you know, the good thing about that, you hold them four years and they're half paid for. So there's some big equity that builds up really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I love that because so many, first of all, so many folks who are out teaching real estate are kind of very focused on one thing you know they're very one trick ponies you know you need to only wholesale Mm -hmm. or you need to only own rentals or you need to whatever and this is so much a bigger um it's it's a whole it's a whole uh investment strategy not just a go do this one thing you're you're actually taking Mm -hmm. uh two different things the cash strategy of retailing which is what everybody knows you for and combining it with this uh thing about being able to pay these houses off very quickly because my my guess is that given that you've got a $200,000 house that rents for $2,000 a month, there's not actually a ton of cash flow until you pay it off. Um, no, but you know, if you structure them right with very low or no interest, like, let me give you an example. I have a house I bought, let's use a $250,000 house. You know, I put a chunk of money down on it and I paid him 2000 a month for a hundred months. Well, collecting like $2,500 a month in rent. By the time I pay my taxes and insurance, I don't have a whole lot left. But, you know, I'm paying him 2000 a month every month for 100 months. Well, that one's a zero interest loan. I gave him every penny of what he wanted, full price. Didn't He didn't argue. Then I gave him a nice chunk of money down. He didn't argue on that. And so he likes getting the $2,000 a month. You know, 100 months is long enough to stretch him to retirement. You know, but every month what I owe goes down to $1,000 a month. So I'm good not to have cash flow in that house because, holy smokes, at the end of 12 months, I mean, the end of this year, I'll have made $24,000 in equity. You know, if I keep it two years, that's 48000 So, I mean, to keep a, you know, a really nice house that needed no work for just two years and make $48,000 on it, it's a pretty significant amount of, you know, equity buildup. So $48,000. looking for pay down. Mm-hmm. And that's forty eight thousand non taxable dollars, right? Exactly. So yeah, and you look at it. The, the tenant and the tenant paid it all for me. I didn't do anything to earn that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
we got your price range. We got your, uh, um, more importantly, I think for folks who aren't in your area and are going, well, I'm, I'm trying to like mentally picture what kind of house Robin is buying here. Uh, we've got, you know, the f- four bedroom, two and a half bath, great school system, uh, something that's going to attract uh, people who are, who are professionals who are kind of, they're not ready to buy for reasons of their own. I mean, you know, who cares why they're not ready to buy, uh, assuming that they can afford the property and don't have a history of leaving other people stuck with uh, non-payment of rent. Um, You just kind of gave away the secret of how you are buying them, which is uh, largely with owner financing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, Vina, I'll make, a low cash offer, you know, if they're crazy enough to want to take it because they're really, really severely desperate, you know, I'll flip it, but, you know, and I'll give them a, what they call a split funded offer where I'll give them some now and some, you know, a lump sum down the road. Um, so I make like multiple offers, usually three offers on it and let them pick. Most of the sellers I got, you know, in their early fifties and up, they want a good price for their house. They don't want to sell it at 30 cents off the, the price, you know, 30% off. So they want, if they get a good price for it and they get a chunk of money down, they're okay to take their money over time. I mean, I get a lot of folks that are retired that like getting $2,000 a month for, you know, 100 months or $1,000 a month for 100 months. They like that. You know, it's extra money for them and it's less of a tax burden for them than getting a big lump sum all up front. Because most of the folks don't live in the houses that I'm buying. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a big tax advantage for them. So there's benefits for them doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you did mention something that, you know, I, I'm not sure people are allowed to say out loud in the real estate world, which is you put a big chunk of money up front to make them want to work with you. I want the deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, if I do a $250,000 house, and let's say I put fifty up, right? And the tenant's going to pay for everything else. And I can get that house paid off in eight years. I mean, by the time the eight years rolls around, which you and I both know, uh, I've been in the, at this over 20, and it feels like I just started yesterday. So eight years flies by lickety-split. You know, if I can put 50 up and the tenant's going to pay everything else to pay it off for me, you know, that will build $200,000 in the next eight years. That's a dang good return on your money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a physical asset that will pay me for the rest of my life. You know, and so that's one of the things. I don't want to take 30 years to pay for something. Because if you take 30 years to pay for it and you're paying all that interest to the bank, oh, my God. I mean, you, you look at a 30-year amortization and see tens of thousands of dollars being dropped to Bank of America or Wells Fargo. Well, you know, I'm just seeing that all go to me. Uh-huh. And $50,000 is two, two, you know, middle-end rehabs here in Cincinnati. So it's mm-hmm. it's not like it's well, not like yeah. <laughs> it's not like folks are sitting around going, but I don't have fifty thousand dollars, can't get it. Well, well, that's not an issue because look, if you get one of these houses, two fifty, fifty down, two thousand a month for a hundred months, you can wholesale that puppy. I mean, there's seasoned landlords who have money. If you can structure zero or low interest financing that's no qualifying, there's plenty of buyers that will take that. And give you, you know, five, ten thousand dollars to get out of the road. So I tell students all the time, if you don't have the down, you know, wholesale it or partner it. Get somebody else to put up the money and you manage it and you find the tenant and you write the lease and you know, you property manage it and 
split it down the middle with them when it does sell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Robin, we need to take a quick break, after which we are going to come back and answer some questions that have been coming in from listeners okay. at askvina at gmail.com. If you have questions for Robin, you can... You can send them there. It's that's a s k v like in Victor e n a at gmail dot com, or you can uh, give us a call. The number is eight seven 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 two nine six four eight. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vina Jones Cox, talking to Robin Thompson, not about rehab. Weirdly, uh, we're talking about um, her current strategy of cherry picking i would say uh newer houses that are in more affluent areas that she is holding for rental with the intention of getting them all paid off in in about a 10-year time frame because a 2000 or 2500 dollars a month rental paid off brings in a lot of money and you don't have to I uh, have too terribly many of those to have a really generous passive income in your life. Robin is also uh, making a tour of Ohio uh, starting in the first week of February. She's going to be in Cincinnati on February 1st and then in uh, Columbus on the 6th. And, and Robin, you are going to be in in uh, Dayton on the 7th, right? Have I got that yep. correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, figure I was going to be there. Might as well stay and do that. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of thought you were, but I just, you know, wanted to make sure that uh, I had that straight. So, um, back to this this thing about these expensive houses, because I mean, the the, the conventional wisdom is the return on a two hundred thousand dollar house is less than the return on two one hundred thousand dollar houses, which is less than the return on four fifty thousand dollar houses which were the nightmare houses that you had you had early on but i think it's 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 super important for people to understand that a big chunk of what you're doing in real estate every moment needs to be about what the market is demanding and another big chunk Mm -hmm. needs to be about where you are in your life financially well, Lavina, first thing I want to say on the returns, what people don't take into consideration is the wear and tear and the the mess that you're left when they move out and the average time that a tenant stays. My lower end stuff, the turnover was usually a year to 18 months. My higher end stuff, the average that they stay is 37 months whole different level of moving in and out and amount of vacancy so the the better quality tenants don't move as frequently and there's not nearly as much in repairs when they move um and can i just give an example to everybody on that Mm -hmm. i had a doctor move out from one of my properties after he was there for three years about three months ago the new tenant moved in literally an hour later and, you know, I was panic struck because it was a relocation going out and a relocation going in. And the moving trucks were, you know, leaving and then the next one coming literally an hour, an hour and a half later. So I had the entire cleaning team all on standby, you know, six people ready to, you know, come in there, shampoo carpets and everybody on call. Well, I got there like an hour and a half before the tenant leaving was to be done just to, you know, all hands on deck. And they had already shampooed all the carpets and done everything. Hmm. 
And I'm like, they literally handed me the keys. And basically what we had to do is put two garbage cans out to the curb, you know, of what they had taken out of the refrigerator and then had the refrigerator clean. And I'm standing there going, in my low-end days, I never got a house back like that, mm-hmm. ever. Like in the 14 years I had them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had 34 of them. So I, I just kind of stood there laughing because, you know, every time I had somebody move out in the lower end stuff, it was laughing to have all brand new carpet and the whole house had to be painted top to bottom and holes in the walls and doors broken. And there wasn't anything like that in that house. It's a whole different mindset, whole different clientele. Mm-hmm. There's people that have home ownership mentality, but they want to rent. And there's lots of them out there. We have a bunch of questions piling up here in the inbox. Um, the first one is okay. from Lawanda, and it's almost like she paid you, or you paid her to ask this question. I mean, this is like playing right into your hands here. She says, for a new investor, what do you recommend as a strategy, flipping or buy and hold? Well, I would ask her a question. If she's carrying credit card debt and car payments, I would say she starts out flipping. Because flipping is active. The good thing about flipping, and the reason I did it most of my career, is it makes big chunks of cash to pay that stuff off. And I get really worried about people that start trying to keep houses without having some cash reserves because that's exactly how they buy a rental and then run into problems and can't afford to fix it. Um, So I would say if she's cash low, she starts out by flipping. If she's got some cash um, and she's already mastered flipping and wholesaling, then she's ready to buy and hold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And look, the older you get, the more seasoned you get. You and I both know this. She's going to want to move more and more to the passive side. Very true. Very true. I, mean, um, I, I like walking to the end of my mailbox every month. And I've got 22 of these properties. I like going to the end of my mailbox and collecting 35 grand. I really mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and that's all I want to do. The older I get, all I want to do is once a month make a trip to my mailbox. Mm-hmm. So the bad thing about flipping is, is, you know, the minute you sell the house, you got to start working again. Right. Right. Now, Lawanda has a, a follow-up question, which is, what is Robin's opinion on Airbnb? I have three houses that I Airbnb, um, and they, two of them where I am because it's horse country. And right now we've got the big horse show in for the the January through March timeframe, I can make as much on an Airbnb rental in four months as I can on here if I rented it out for 12. Um, So I have done really well with the Airbnb, but one of the things I would tell her is what I was shocked to find out is, uh, you know, Airbnb doesn't have to always be on the beach or it doesn't have to be, you know, this exotic vacation in the Caribbean. Um, I find there's high demand on Airbnb close to universities, close to hospitals, Um, you know, where parents are coming to visit their kids at college. So, um, you know, I would tell her to get some education on that. And there's plenty of folks out there doing that now, but I have done really well with my Airbnbs. And you just got to know the rules for the city where you are and what the ordinances allow or don't allow Mm -hmm. would be my recommendation for. Question from Denise, who is writing from the Philadelphia area. She says, can you do these transactions inside your retirement accounts? And if so, do you directly buy the houses or do you buy the houses in an entity that your retirement account owns? Well, for me, Vina, I have not done them in my IRA for one reason. If you do, you're going to owe UBIT. Um, if your IRA you know, has a mortgage, you're going to owe uh, unrelated business tax. So I have not done them in my IRA, but you can. 
I have students who have, um, and I would tell her to do her homework on that. Uh, the other thing is, as far as you know, your entity goes, the trust is what I would do. I was what I do with mine, and then the beneficial interest of the trust is the IRA mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or your LLC, whichever way you choose to take title to that. And and I can tell you, Denise, that a, a similar question about. Um, an owner financed rental property came up when John Heyer was here about a year ago. And he said that uh, if your IRA is going to own a rental, don't have the IRA directly own the rental because then any liability with personal injury, you know, radon, mold, stuff like that uh, can wash back on your IRA and that you should have an LLC or something that the IRA owns the LLC, the LLC owns the property. That's, um, that's sort of how he suggested that it be set up a uh, question from JC in Las Vegas. He says, please ask Robin what she thinks about attractive on property features that also might have additional maintenance or nuisance or liability. So for instance, outdoor pools, huge yards, sheds, storage, big driveways, things like that. Okay, I have three houses, Vina, that do have pools, but of course I am in Florida. Um, you know, I'm, I, I hear his concerns immensely. Not a big fan of renting houses out with swimming pools to folks who have really young kids, I can tell you that. Um, my preference is to buy houses without the swimming pools, um, so I don't have the liability issues. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my houses with a pool is in a 55 and up community, so that kind of resolves that issue for the most part. So. I would say if you go out and you look at one with a swimming pool and the average age of the folks in the neighborhood is very young with little children, I would be very leery about purchasing that house. That mm-hmm. one would be on my do not buy list because mm-hmm. the last thing you would want is somebody getting in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the three of mine that do have swimming pools, the youngest child is I think 11 that I've got, but I also still make them padlock the back screen door. And ours are all enclosed, caged in lanai, so no neighborhood kids can get in there. Um, and I make the back screen door be padlocked so that, uh, you know, the neighbors cannot get in there and swim when nobody's home. Mm-hmm. So I would be very careful of that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you said something important, which is don't buy the house as opposed to try and tell people with three-year-olds they can't have the house because that's right. that's exactly. a, that's discrimination. That's, you can't discriminate on family. <laughs> right. Versus, versus I'm just not going to uh, own the property in the first place. Um, okay. So we need to take another quick break and we've got even more questions here at askvina at gmail.com. So if you have one, we're in the, we're really in the last 10 minutes of the show at this point, you might want to call 877-772-9658 or you can again, send an email to ask askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Robin Thompson. Um, if, you, if you tuned in today hoping to hear her talk about rehab, two things I would tell you. Number one, uh, you can go into the archives at realliferealestate.com and we have multiple uh, interviews with her over the last 10 years or so uh, about uh, various aspects of rehab. Also, if you come to the Cincinnati RIA meeting on February 1st or the Central Ohio RIA meeting on February 6th or the Dayton RIA meeting on February 7th, that's going to be the primary topic uh, at those meetings. And then she's doing a a two-day seminar actually on February 10th and 11th or 17th and 18th 
that um, is going to be one day full of rehab and one day full of rentals. So you can get information about all of that at CincinnatiRIA.com, <laughs> CincinnatiRIA.com. And um, I just, you know, uh, after after 20 something years of doing this show, I, I ask guests stuff that I am interested in and what I am interested in. And I and I think you guys should be, too, is the strategy she has of turning turning some of this rehab cash into high end rentals that have relatively low drama um, relatively low. I mean, they're newer houses, which the $50,000 houses typically aren't. So I'm guessing, Robin, that when something goes wrong, it's a lot easier to fix it than it is in a in the, you know, 1900 Victorian houses mm-hmm. that I own. Exactly. And, you know, Vina, the other thing I forgot to point out is, you know, you asked me about the four $50,000 houses versus the $200,000 house. Here's the other thing. A $200,000 house is going to go up much faster than $100,000 house or $50,000 houses. So appreciation is a big part of this game, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. So Plus. I just want to make sure pl- I want to plant that seed. Would you rather own a $100,000 house for appreciation or a $300,000 house for appreciation? Well, plus, and, and um, you'll, you'll, you'll see in a second why I'm using this particular price point, uh, a, a $275,000 house gives you $10,000 a year in tax write-offs. Mm-hmm. And a twenty-seven thousand dollars house only gives you one thousand dollars a year in tax write-offs. So, there, you know, especially if you are as, as you do doing some active investing, wholesaling, or retailing, oh, yeah. and then yep. you got the rentals that that really helps offset the 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 painful part of being a, a of having a, a business that that flips a lot of houses, and that is the taxes. Holy cow! Yes, yes, I hate that. I hate. I hate yeah. my quarterlies, and I hate that <laughs> once-a-year big number that you've got to write a check for. So it makes that number not nearly as big, thank God, yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay, a uh, question here from Edward in Cincinnati. He says, Robin mentioned that she started doing this in 2010 and that a lot there were a lot of renters at that time. I'm curious about whether she thinks it works equally well today now that prices are up and more people are able to buy homes. Well, it's... I can tell you it's working just as well now as it is ever has because businesses are doing really well and corporations are spending a lot of money to shuffle management level people around and promote them and move them into different positions. So um, I just had a house of mine taken today, Vina, by a guy who retired from the military and he was just hired by Daytona International Speedway for $156,000 a year. Um, so, you know, when the economy doing really, really well, there's a lot of folks in corporate America that are are moving. So I think I, I haven't seen any drop off from 2010 till now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and yeah, and, and and by the way, Edward, we probably wouldn't be talking about this on the radio if it did. <laughs> If it, only, if it only worked in in 2010 and no longer uh, worked today. So uh, it, it is interesting, though, that's a switch. And I bet in 2010, a lot of your a lot of your best applicants were people who had overpaid for a house in 2006, gone through a foreclosure and just couldn't buy a house, despite the fact that they had good income, hadn't lost their jobs, all of that sort of thing. Exactly. And many of them held on making $3,500 house payments for three or four years, hoping the economy was going to bounce back in 2009 and 10 and didn't. 
and finally said, you know, I've got to have the bleeding stop. You know, I'm better off renting than I am owning. Mm-hmm. So, and we had a lot of those in the beginning. I don't see that so much now, but, um, you know, we do, we've got, the, the demand is like 10 times higher than the supply, Vina. And maybe part of it's the marketing. Um, you know, I use a really good website, rentals.com, and it has a feature where I can hit a checkbox on there, and it'll publish my ad to 36 websites. So for literally 80 bucks a month. So, and I, maybe part of it is the marketing that the word is out there because of the internet that you can, you know, actually put your houses in so many places that, you know, the world can see it. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it too, which I'll gladly cover when I'm there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is a question from Sean, who is from Kansas City. He says, what does Robin think about acquiring these deals subject to, and does she have the same buying criteria for those? I do buy them subject to, Vina. Um, my rule is there, though, if, let's say, the seller owes 25 years left on the mortgage, I, then I am very curious about where the cash flow is and how much it is, because I like to take that extra cash flow and apply it to principal. Um, because, again, I want the house to be able to pay itself off in 10 years or less. So if there is a longer loan on it, um, you know, and you have a, a month where you can't add the extra to principal, that's fine. But, yeah, subject to is a great way to acquire it, and a lot of times the interest rates are in the middle threes that you can pick a loan up for. So, yeah, that is a great buying strategy for sure. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, question here from Chuck, who does not say where he has, he is fr- he's from. He says, I assume if Robin is negotiating zero interest loans with sellers that there are not realtors involved in this and that she's finding them in some other way. Can she share how that works? I am going to shock him and knock his socks off. Being a 60% of the houses I buy are with realtors. So let me give an example of a house I just bought. It was sitting in the MLS for sale for four and a half months. The top REMAX agent was frustrated um, because the house had a pretty staunch dog smell to it. Uh, they couldn't figure out how to get rid of the dog odor. Uh, it was pretty strong. And, uh, you know, and so they were very frustrated. So the owner you know, he's like, how long do I keep paying money out on this house without getting money in? So I basically offered him $1,500 a month for X amount of months with a chunk of money down, and he took it. And the realtor said, I can't believe he took it. I can't believe he would do that. And she never, ever thought to ask him. And what was interesting is it was for sale for four and a half months, and nobody else even tried it. So I like to look at houses with realtors where there's no furniture, and they've been for sale for more than 90 days. And if they're paid off free and clear, I'm going to throw, throw an offer at them. What's the worst they could tell me? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I do use realtors. That brings in about 60% of them. And then I use direct mail campaigns like you do. Um, out-of-state owners who've had it a long time is one of my better ones also. So I do direct mail because not very many people like to do that. So I like to go away from the herd which mm-hmm. I know you do too. You're one of the best there is at it. So. Yeah, and so so uh, Chuck, I'm as surprised as you are. <laughs> because I've spent I've spent half my well, half my career telling people they couldn't do creative deals through real estate agents. Well, here's what's crazy. Once you get one or two of the realtors and they figure it out, and usually it's the seasoned ones who've been doing it 20 years who, you know, will present an, any offer they get. Um, once you get them that they get a check on a house they didn't think they were going to get a check on because they thought they were going to lose the listing, what's interesting is they start to bring you everything like that that they've got problems with selling. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. And at 0%. Uh, I have one realtor I bought six from. 
<laughs> and, so, and at 0% interest, you can, you can probably actually overpay even a little because... You know, it's 0% interest. Wow. Okay. So this is, this is all awesome. And I am really looking forward to sitting in on your uh, all day class. Um, probably going to be in Cincinnati. I will probably do the one in Cincinnati on the 10th and 11th. Okay. Although I don't know, maybe Columbus on the 17th and 18th. We'll see. Uh, folks can get more information about that at CincinnatiRia.com. Again, the uh, main meeting on February the 1st, free to anybody who wants to come. Just download a guest pass at CincinnatiRia.com. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.